Welcome to the Marty Party Podcast. This is me asking random questions about lifestyle, habits, and routines, business ideas, traveling, and books to people that inspire me. What I hope to achieve is to identify the pivotal moments that make them who they are today and how they choose to live. It's my spin on humans in New York with a bit of Tim Ferriss, James Altucher, but definitely more silly and introspective. This is my way to learn about how to become a better person, and I hope to share this journey with all of you. Hope you like it. Okay, Terry, very nice to have you. Uh, it's an honor, actually, because um, we met <laughs> not too long ago. It's about yeah. It's only three months, I think. Um, yeah, or, or less. Probably less. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, under very strange, but <laughs> nicely strange circumstances. Yeah. Um, so, why don't you do a quick intro? Because um, you on on your work right now, you as a music producer, what you've been mm-hmm. up to. Uh, and then we can go uh, deeper on sort of like okay. um, past. Yeah. So past so, in the future. Let's we'll start with the present. <laughs> so today I'm I'm not exactly sure if I'm a full time music producer, but uh, um, let's put it this way: like I'm a I'm a music. You're a music guy. Yeah, I'm a music guy in short, and um, and I and I think I activate music culture. I, mm-hmm. I love activate, or at least I think I'm activating music culture. Mm-hmm. And um, and, and it all started like you know when I was young, where I'd be the guy calling the neighbors over instead of playing Super Mario. We, you know, I'd be the guy like, hey, dude, let's put down the computer games. Let's let's make a song, you know, mm-hmm. on the tape deck. Was it hip hop music mostly? Um, yeah, I think I think for when it first started, I think the first time it really began, it was like nineteen eighty nine or ninety. Uh-huh. So so that was when you know like hip hop was just beginning. But I think at that at that age, you don't really know what genre you're good at so it was mm-hmm. more of like hey let's just come over and 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 put these mics into the you know into into the stereo and, yeah. and let's just record from tape deck a to tape deck b but there there had to be something about hip-hop that attracted you i was just listening to uh jimmy o yang's audiobook uh he uh-huh. had a new book called how to america He's the guy who played Jing Yang in Silicon Valley. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, who, like, the character became, like, very, very famous. Yeah. Probably became the, the most fav- famous character in, in, in the show. And he was talking about him, his story as an immigrant into America. Uh, and he was trying to assimilate. And where he found his sort of, like, this <clears throat> sanctuary place was BET it's it's where he learned how to speak with an American accent it's learning about the hip hop culture uh, listening up uh, to Jay Z and all these guys so did you have a similar but Uh, you grew up in the states right well no I actually spent most of my childhood in Singapore but then back and forth 
Um, my mom's from Hawaii. My dad's from Singapore. So, but schooling wise, I had to go to school in Singapore. But then, but then yes. So so in, in some ways, those those really young years in Singapore, feeling kind of like a fish out of water. Uh-huh. Hip hop was that was that way you know like every summer when i go back home to hawaii mm. i would just record like hours of radio onto cassette tapes oh. and take that back with me oh. knowing that i was just gonna go pre-internet back. yeah knowing that i was gonna have to go do 10 weeks of school back in asia <laughs> and i'll be back here again so so that's actually that's probably what began it be, like, like what started it all was was it was it was the 90s uh-huh. it was the end of the 80s and and commercial radio was uh was primarily hip hop you know and mm. a little bit of r&b and so so you know what i mean like for me it was just like every summer or or winter break i would i would be back in hawaii just recording you know i would literally calculate like, i'm gonna need like 20 cassette tapes mm-hmm. to last me mm-hmm. this this semester right. before i get back and get some more so so it was a lot of that music and 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 I think and but you uh, does that does that mean you couldn't share what you were listening to in Singapore cuz you were just <clears throat> Singapore in the 90s was a was a was you know I would say less liberal than it is today uh-huh and and you know coming from a family where half of my family is american half of them are from singapore yeah there's always this culture clash yeah you know, and I'm closer to my mom, mm-hmm. you know, but then I totally understand my dad's values. And, and so, and so, so I, in a reversed way, <laughs> in a reversed way, hip hop music was, you know, like you often hear people talk about it, like hip hop's main draw is because there's a certain level of self-expression to it, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. A certain level where individuality's okay. I mean, it, and and I think that's also present in rock music, but not in the same way. Okay. Like, there's a certain, like, easier, you know, level of entry into hip-hop mm. than other genres of music, which require a lot more musicality. So, <clears throat> so like, like, taking that music actually inspired me a lot as a kid and then going into my teenage years and then finally going back to college in the bay and i and i went back to college at 16 Mm. so that was whoa yeah i'm not super smart but it was i figured out a loophole but uh (laughs) um but you know like like immediately day one back in the u.s like it was it was it was easy like it was fine you uh-huh. know what i mean like in fact i felt meeting a lot more other asian americans they weren't even as american mm. in that way mm-hmm. um but but i think i think what beyond beyond you know the whole western american element of hip hop i think it was i picked it because I didn't know how to play instruments as a kid. Mm. I tried. I had all the piano classes. Mm-hmm. I did guitar for about like an hour before the teacher flipped out. 
and, and told my is mom. Is that like, through uh, sort of like your your mom wanted you to well, to listen? My to mom it, never uh, enforced me to do it. I mean, my mom was buying me like chemistry sets. Okay. At, like, so seven. not a, not a tiger mom. Yeah, definitely not. But math math on that part but but math was different because my mom's a microbiologist okay so she was always telling me that no matter what you do the world's made out of numbers mm. and i think it was it was the challenger crash the space shuttle crash um and and then she told me she said you know like like rocket science is down to very finite math mm. so if you don't get this calculus right you don't learn your algebra you don't get your mathematics right. Mm -hmm. You can't do much. Well, you're you're just not going to be able to understand the science of yeah. life, you know. And so and, you took that to heart. And right? I took that to heart. Yeah. I, I and that that happened about like when I was eight years old. So mm -hmm. it always stuck with me, you know. Mm -hmm. Like like I needed to get my math right. So so yes, like most Asian kids math was a very big part mm -hmm. of me and and i actually feel grateful because going to school in singapore and studying under the british educational system mm -hmm. i was done with what was freshman sophomore year math by in, the time i was like 15 yeah you know so like like you know last month i went back to go see my professor and and i and i I was just happy to see him and, and you know like you know, he didn't remember me like 20 years but he was really nice he took me he took me for lunch and we were talking about it and I said do you, you remember like halfway through freshman year you figured out that I already knew all this stuff mm -hmm. so you told me to like not come to class drunk <laughs> at 8 30 in the morning on my skateboard and disrupt <laughs> other classmates uh -uh. and just show up for the final and he was like I don't specifically remember, but that's something I would do. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm that guy. So it's awesome. Yeah. So it was a lot of that math. And I think, I think also not being able to, to have the discipline to like learn classical piano or classical guitar as a kid, along with this, this everything in the world is math mm. eventually led me to the drum machine mm. because you know, like, beats are like beats are just you know they're often most of the times they're in multiples of four okay so whether it's a four bar or an eight bar loop or whatever as long as you figure out how to crunch how like so for me like as a kid like around 13 to 14 when i started making beats it was you have these four bars. Mm -hmm. It's just four bars. One, two, three, four, two, two, three, four, so and so. Like four bars is not that long, dude. Like mm. and if you don't got the sensibility to create like a melodic motif within these four bars, then don't do it. Mm. You know, and I think I could. Like I was able to hum melodies and create songs in my head, so by the time I bought my first little Yamaha Porta Sound keyboard to, you know, by the time I bought my first drum machine at like 17, um, it was easy. Uh -huh. So my first beats didn't sound as bad as most people's first beats did. Right. You know, right. Like, I remember the first time I actually really made a beat myself was around like 15 and a half, like close before 16. And, and back then, making beats was 
using <clears throat> what? Like drum it wasn't machine. drum machine. I mean, okay. there were a couple of geekier kids who had like computers at that time already. But I was like, dude, I mm. like I didn't start using a computer like full time until like two thousand and four. Mm-hmm. Like even through college, like like let's. <laughs> I think the only time I ever used a computer aside from doing homework was to was to Yahoo Map mm. or you know or back in those I don't even remember what was but I, my roommate did buy me my first drum machine on eBay in the late 90s like <laughs> but I didn't know how to use it I didn't even understand what bidding was so he did it okay and then he was like okay well you know like they're going to FedEx it okay over and just so after you make the beats what what do you do do you do you rhyme over it or um so i've always been more into like Mm r&b i think rap was something that was just easier you know like so for me it was always like get the beat out of the way Mm -hmm. and then you can get to writing the song Mm -hmm. you need to and and not understanding music theory like most people did I had to kind of just make sure I had this melodic bed so that I could start creating songs over it, right? Mm. So so I was always just rushing into it. And then I had to start learning structures of songs. Mm. And I think that came with a lot of listening to music because like anytime I wasn't studying, I wasn't in school, I was on a Walkman. Mm-hmm. So it was going through thousands, or I would say thousands of songs mm-hmm. as a kid mm-hmm. and realizing, okay, there seems to always be a pattern here right, where right. it's like an eight bar intro, mm-hmm. a verse, and chorus. Yeah, in. chorus, and then come in. And after the second chorus, usually you just go crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the go crazy part of it was, you know, it, it, it's there's so many ways you can go with that. Yeah. So, so. I didn't know the technicality of that as a kid. Mm-hmm. For me, as a kid, was getting to the first chorus. Okay. Right? So, so a lot. It actually began like before I actually started making beats around like twelve. I would always go to Tower Records, and I would always buy singles. So I had like literally half of my collection was singles, and half of my collection were albums, because I needed the instrumentals, like most people uh, did, right, to rap or sing over instrumentals. So, I think that really that early those earlier years actually helped me understand how to write the melody element mm-hmm. onto it so mm-hmm. there's always like there's a couple of elements that go into a copyright first is the composition which mm-hmm. is either the music or the melody and then there's the lyric part of mm-hmm. it right um i think <clears throat> so for me those early years between like say 12 to like 15 of creating songs on an instrumental recording it from left tape deck to right tape deck on the iowa Mm. or the sony stereo in the Mm -hmm. living room or bring the living room into my room (laughs) you know i'm putting headphones on and buying like a cheap karaoke mic that was what actually helped me have a sense of creating structure in Mm. songs and i actually didn't have to do it because the structure was created i just had to make sure that whatever I sang over it didn't mm-hmm. sound too shitty. Right. So, so but by, by 16, I was like, all right, well, you need to progress. And, you know, and at that time, it was still the assumption that there's no way in hell you're going to be doing this mm. for a living. Like, from that parents? was a non-conversation. Okay. I come home every day. There's, there's 
there's a new article that my dad had printed out on my door. It was always, you know, either a New York Times article or, you know, a Wall Street Journal article. And, you know, like, it was everything about how, like, rap music was bad. Mm. You know, like, it, it, it promoted gang culture. Yeah. And this, 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 this. And, and you know, as a kid, I, I wasn't a bad kid. I just wasn't the normal kid. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I would write. I would write a lot, like, like journaling or yeah journaling poetry mm-hmm. opinion pieces as a 14 year old were nice controversial enough to have my teacher in singapore go we need to speak to your parents mm. but i think there was a lot of you know as a kid like i said my childhood the way it was it was it was very confusing because these are very different cultures you know i mean you come from an american family living Mm -hmm. in singapore and and then at the same time my dad didn't want me to go to the american school which now i see a lot of that going on here in taiwan yeah a lot of parents don't choose that so but then all your friends are from the american school yeah and you spend all your time after school at the american club but then you have to go back to this really conservative Asian society, mm. like Asian environment for like six hours to eight hours a day mm-hmm. and try to fit into a completely different mindset. Yeah. That was, that was, that was challenging. And I think that gave me a lot of, I think that that's probably what set me apart from a lot of other people and probably eventually became my greatest strength. Mm. which was this whole like i was into east meets west without even knowing it before it became a trend mm. so i'm probably a product mm-hmm. of east meets west mm-hmm. but by the time i went back to the u.s it was just west mm. for a long time and then eventually moving back to asia i was still very non-understanding of of asian values or or you know conservatism or pragmatism and so i had to kind of figure it out you know and but it wasn't uh, in a sort of it wasn't a identity crisis it was more mm, just like how do i how do i fit in how do i yeah. how do i fit in okay. I, I don't think i ever had an identity crisis i i think i've always been like that okay like, i've always been pretty upfront i've always spoken like this like since i was a kid i've, mm-hmm. I've always had the same you know like demeanor when i speak or or you know of course when i was younger i i was a lot more vulgar but you uh-huh. know as you get older as most people <laughs> do but i don't think i ever had an identity crisis okay i've seen people with identity crisis mm-hmm. and but but for me it was, it was it was easy like you know i like i would i would hear some some of my friends who you know some immigrant friends grew up with immigrant families and and share their stories and and i'd be like wow that seems tougher right you know what i mean like try being a five-year-old where all your neighbors in singapore are white Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) so that i I never really yeah so Mm -hmm. it it wasn't an identity crisis it was just a fact of life yeah that was just how it was and and I, I never really blamed anyone for it. I was just kind of like took it as it is, you know. Mm. Maybe later in life, I was just like, man, like, like. Was there ever a part of you was like, I I don't want to stay in Singapore. I just want to be back in the states. And well, I I never really had to because I spent you know a uh, good half, third of half the year, of your time. yeah, okay. like 
like you know like going like growing up it was pretty much like singapore was just you go there for like school 30 40 weeks a, um, yeah you know yeah like half, like two-thirds of the year for school and then you're back mm-hmm. you know with your cousins and mm-hmm. you know we have a home okay. in hawaii and 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 it wasn't that hard you know okay. but and even in singapore we were always around you know a very american right, right environment right. so right. and singapore is also an english-speaking yep. asian country so yep. it was that somewhat it, easier it was somewhat asia easier, 101 yeah. but there was a difference between like when you step out of say like the american club and you walk down the street then oh it's, yeah it's a little sure. different right yeah, yeah. you know and, I, and i'm sure it's like that you know like whether growing up going to tas here mm-hmm. or something like that mm-hmm. so so um it was just kind of like the world just that was my world like, okay like there wasn't there wasn't a race thing and, and so back to the question of hip-hop and music i think that was music at first was was kind of like was my healing element mm. like that's what i took to kind of escape mm. or or kind of like get away from this confusion right and then ev- eventually it led me to a sense of curiosity where i was like maybe i can make it mm. maybe i can actually do it myself and, and maybe i can take it further and that was through the the trials of making beats and yeah so this was all between like 12 to like 17 but by but by 17 back in a basement in san jose and having my own little setup and having people come by every day Mm. to make music um i was pretty sure that okay this is probably what's going to be of my career Mm. even though i'm studying accounting Mm -hmm. But I got like a couple more years till I graduate to figure all this out, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I'll convince my dad when I graduate because mm. all my dad wanted to see was that degree, uh-huh. and that degree had better not be in music or any <laughs> right. form of arts. So I was like, I'll figure it out okay. at some point. Okay. So you're playing both yeah. cards. I was playing both cards, but then I was, I was getting pretty good at it, <laughs> you know. Like you know, I remember like the summer of '97 mm-hmm. when when Diddy, like, Puff Daddy mm-hmm. was blowing up, Biggie was blowing up, I was calling Bad Boy every day. Mm. Like, I was on, you know, the way to do it, like, you know, like, calling 411 in another state was just 212-555-1212. Or whatever area code, 555-1212. Okay. Right? So Atlanta is 404-555-1212. Right? And you get the name of the company, which you see at the back of the sleeve, uh-huh. and you ask for the right people. So sometimes, so for example, like, like for me, it didn't start with uh, with looking for Puff Daddy. Rather, I would go down the credit list on an album and look for someone that seemed like she Associated. or he worked in the company, yeah. and then call two one two five 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 one two one two, get the number from Bad Boy Entertainment, mm-hmm. and then call every day. Why did you want to? You just wanted to. Well, was, you were a fanboy. You wanted to. No, talk actually, to him. it wasn't even a fan. Like it was, I, I had to, I took communications as a minor, like, like, you know, and so, and I kind of did it without even telling my dad. dad. Yeah, because yeah, my dad was the, the. This is not. This is non conversation. Right. So, so I remember communications one hundred and one was pretty easy, but the final. I wanted to kill it. Mm. Like, 
even marketing classes, all your electives that you need to take. Like, I wanted, I wanted to to just murder mm. the final paper. Mm. Like, like I felt like, like I'm in college. Yeah, I'm not just gonna go to the library and quote some stuff. Yeah, I'm gonna go out there and get like real life interviews For and sure. stuff to back my argument, right? <laughs> So I was just recalling Bad Boy every day until the receptionist goes, is this Terrence? And I'm like, yes. You're the guy calling for San Jose? And I'm like, yes. He goes, you know that Puff Daddy's not going to speak to you, right? And I'm like, yes. And I'm like, well, can I speak to, you know, your your business operations guy or someone? Right. And they finally, finally put me through That's amazing. to his personal assistant at that time, who was Jason Delgado. And I added him on Facebook a couple of years ago. I, I found him. Um, never had the chance to say thank you because he was cool enough to give me his Sky Pager number, mm. which he called me back like after midnight one night. And, and he gave me like a two hour interview that gave me enough material wow. to write a paper. And then, so the next day after that, I started calling. Jermaine Dupree. <laughs> so it was just four oh four five 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 one two one two. Like one works, right? the, the other one's gonna one. work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I went through all that. I even got an interview with uh the legal counsel of Death Row Records <laughs> at the tail end of Death Row, like post That's... right after Pocket died, Death uh. Row and and it was interesting because the amount of insight that I got from these people, uh really really helped me to formulate not just my paper but an understanding of okay this is a career that mm. I want to go because just looking at the level of difficulty of getting through the phone mm. to someone mm. there's a degree of corporate in there mm -hmm. that's where I want to be right right but at the same time living in a house full of thugs <laughs> these are my homies though like but living in the house of of guys who are fairly street or sometimes too street for our own good you needed credibility too and mm. you know as a teenager credibility doesn't come from books it comes from how well you make music or whatever mm. so there's never an element of like like I was never trying to be the most popular guy in school. I mm -hmm. never, never liked being on the stage. I, mm -hmm. I had stage fright. Mm -hmm. I've always had kind of stage fright, mm -hmm. but I enjoyed being behind the scenes. Okay. So, so that was all. That also included handling arguments, handling beef, handling backyard fights. Mm. You know, like you know, there's so many times that we've gotten into fights on the porch or in the backyard. Uh, you know, and, and that and you were kind the of, ultimate guy who sort of like settled. I wouldn't things. say ultimate, but I was the guy who would just either be the guy blamed for everything. I mean, like a, a good buddy of mine, like who was making music with me at one point, he was asking me, he was like, "Why is everything business to you?" Mm. And I was like, "Yo, are we trying to sit here?" Like, for the rest of our lives, just making these demos? Mm -hmm. Like, don't you want to go to Hollywood? Don't you want to, like, make it big? I mean, like, there has to be a purpose to right. what we're doing, right? So what is that purpose? Mm. And um, and and so I was the guy driving that. Mm. And, and, you know, when you're young and you're trying to keep it real, 
there's always the conversation of like, hey, dude, like, not everything is numbers, you know, it's that accounting yeah. mind of yours. And I'm like, dude, I'm not even that good of an accounting. I mean, mm-hmm. I kicked out of accounting school junior <laughs> year and I had to go do finance. Like, so <laughs> that was, that was a, a very, very interesting part because I think while most people went to college or, or a lot of people, you know, like I, I know guys now who actually study music business as a degree in college. There was no music business yeah. course yeah. in the 90s. So I actually went to college and got me two educations. Mm-hmm. One was on paper, and which actually really helped me out today. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, an education in finance. And the other one was after school and most of the times on weekends, which was learning how to handle street culture and music That's and awesome. learning what eventually became to me A&R, artist management, artist development. So mm. so all those skills, all those skills that I learned that eventually helped my career wasn't from a formal education. Mm. It was it was feeling it out. Mm-hmm. Like, and and I know like when we were teenagers, most people that liked music were playing in bands. Yeah. You know, but... <clears throat> or at least just, you know, like, hiding in their bedrooms, making little demos. But nobody was actually taking that dream one step, like, one step further. Mm. And my whole thing was always, like I just said, you know, like, that that question to my boys was like, yo, I ain't trying to sit here my whole life, you know, in a basement on Benton Street. Mm-hmm in San Jose, in Santa Clara, and, like, I'm trying to get me to L.A., yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm trying to get me to New York. Yeah. And then in the 90s, there was also the question of, like, dude, you're Asian. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm Asian, but y'all y'all not Asian, you know what I mean? Like, you guys can make yeah, it, right? you guys can make it. I just got to, like, you know, I'll, I'll just... Ride with it. Yeah, I'll just drive. You, yeah. you guys chill, like, you know what I mean? Because we had a multi-racial setup, you know, uh-huh. of whether it was... Filipino, African American, Latino, you know, like we even had a white girl that rapped. Mm. And, you know, like I just caught up with her recently on LinkedIn, and and you know we've all grown up, you know, and um, everybody was kind of you know academically also kind of smart, but mm-hmm. so so this whole thing eventually landed me at twenty, where after graduation. I had to go back to Singapore to do the military because mm. I was born there. Yeah. So that's a requirement. And uh and and so I was there and the first thing I looked at on the map was, all right, this is a small ass dot. What are we gonna do? And then I started seeing Malaysia and then I saw Indonesia and I was like, that's okay. Yeah. That's like a population of Three million here, mm-hmm. twenty million, twenty something million up top, mm-hmm. and like three hundred million like south. Yeah, that's good enough for me to work with. Yeah, language difficulty, forget about. It. We'll figure it out. And then I started looking around Asia. You know, like at like at that time, J-pop was still was still big, and you know, and I was looking. I was like, well, you know, this is not too bad. We we can do something out of it. We can we can actually make we can actually make something out of this like, mm. you know like let's just go for it you mm-hmm. know? So, so, so you were thinking you had the right <laughs> audience size yes 
uh, J-pop was basically in its own world, which still is so, today. Yeah, right. So I I couldn't depend on that, but the rest of Asia looked fairly, fairly decent. To Brand me. new. It's Greenland for you. It was Greenland. Uh, Hip hop was just arriving, mm-hmm. but the only difference between that and America was was this entire population of Asia had like geographical boundaries yep right and so and some cultural differences cultural differences yeah that that was a big part of it too yeah and so breaking like it wasn't like you're just gonna break out and break everywhere Mm. you actually had to like literally physically conquer each market Mm -hmm. so it took me a, a lot of creative thinking on how to do it and so by the time I was 23 uh, I got a group signed to Universal I was out of the military I was back in the working world and some you know people my age were just your role was a producer back like well yeah okay I I was I was the producer but I was also kind of like the guy A&Ring artist developing playing the role of artist manager and but the the the, um, the attraction was never. I'm gonna do this so I can make x make. It nah, was never monetary. Nah. It was never monetary. Okay. And like in some holistic way, it almost felt like, like you know, there's always this conversation about if you're gonna do a business, you need to make money. Mm-hmm. But my whole thing about about making money is, you need to have something to make money. Mm. you just can't bullshit your way to making money because that's just not gonna last Mm -hmm. so i was always more about figuring out an impossible business model Mm. which is like which at that time was how do we do a label that has influence all over asia throughout all these different cultural barriers geographical barriers language barriers how do we actually do it? And at twin in my early twenties, it was like, how did you get here? Mm-hmm. It was hip hop, mm-hmm. and hip hop was blowing up, was just coming to Asia, and I was like, well, I can make beats. Yep. You know, um, I'm a little bit of a novelty item, so let's just exploit the f- out of it, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. let's just go with it. You know, mm-hmm. and so, so. But for me, what was really exciting was was taking someone from zero to hero. Mm. I think that's what really, really got me. Like, mm. I just love the fact that that I could actually play a role in in someone's career that way. You know yep. what I mean? So I won't go through the names of people that I've worked with, but I've gone through a fair amount of like, hey, you're nobody. All right. Well, I got. I'm on Universal, mm-hmm. and I got this thing. Mm-hmm. We just need to get it up to here, and I can get you a deal. Mm. So I was just getting everybody deals. Right. Like before, I was 22. I probably got like 10 people recording contracts. Mm. And 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 so I was like, oh. But that's after you screened it, right? Like you, you're nobody, but I, I see the potential that you have. So, Let me work with you. Let me so, bring you to the next level. So, so that's always the story of 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 people like that do what I do. 
but I don't actually go out screening people and searching for people. Mm. They kind of just show up. Mm. And I think most people that do this role, and and it's a little different from A&R. I think these are, like, like my heroes are, like, music luminaries. Like, Jimmy Iovine and these people. Like, mm-hmm. these guys aren't just producers. They're not just A&Rs. They're not just managers. They're visionaries. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was like, I want to be a goddamn visionary, mm-hmm. like, you know, but I'm not going to be a visionary till I'm like 50. So, <laughs> or at least I'm not going to get recognized as one. So you can start right now and, and, and just yeah. build this. Stop res- hoping. Uh, yeah. Start, start doing these something. guys got like, you know, like stacks, like 300 of people that they've done. Yeah. Yeah. That they've done on their Wikipedia. Like you need to like, just start now and you got like 10. Right. So, so, so it was kind of you know that was what we did and then like within like two years back in asia we were already going into malaysia Mm. and and malaysia had has a long history of music and appreciation for music and and they're some of the most soulful musicians Mm. in asia along with the filipinos Mm um and and so you know i i kind of just was doing that all the time i was in kl and and just working with 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 the scene out there and and it got to a point one day where where my boss at universal was like did you know that that song you just produced for that emi group just kicked your own group off the charts and i'm like yeah and he was like the f- are you doing <laughs> And I was like, "You're Universal. What are you doing?" I, exactly right. And I'm like, uh, "I'm like, do you see it that way, or do you see it like in another way?" Because like, it's a friendly competition. We're that you're, you're, you're... fucking influential. Yeah. Like, like, or we're that we're making that influence. It mm. doesn't matter where 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 it comes from. Yeah, that impact yep. is is great. You know, and and, and so I was always kind of like that, and that that was That's that led awesome. me to having a lot of clashes with with management yeah because because they're mostly gonna see it for themselves and like, yeah what's my gain how yeah. do i how do i contribute to the, to exactly. the company not the whole art so, of music so one thing that. i i did was was after the age of 22 i always checked budgets mm. i made sure that if i was gonna spend money i wasn't gonna lose money mm. and if i didn't know how to make a lot of money I just had to spend very little. So I was always figuring out how to do that. And uh, I think by the time I was like 22, like I was getting phone calls from Taiwan too. Like it it started one day. I remember like my boss at Universal called me in the office and he was like, hey, you know, our our offices in Taiwan have heard of your music. They got a couple of artists from the U.S., and they fit your sound. They want to translate it to Chinese. And mm. I'm like, I don't know anything about Chinese music. Mm. Been in Taiwan once in my life in 1986. Mm-hmm. Can't point it out on a map. <laughs> Whatever you want to do, dude. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it sounds great. And and I I didn't realize till I was about like 24 that, that these songs were actually moving like a couple hundred thousand units, you know, in Taiwan until... A couple of Taiwanese artists, you know, were showing up in Singapore, like, you know, just calling me, like, hey, you Terry Lee? And I'm like, yeah. And then, like, 
I'll be in Singapore tomorrow. I need to talk to you. And I'm like, mm. like I'm like, first of all, where do you get this money to just like ball out and fly like that? Because even I don't do that. <laughs> and I don't even know what I can do for you. Yeah. So I I I was actually meeting a lot of people who were very successful in the early two thousands in Taiwan as artists and and I figured there was a reason why people just show up, you know. What I mean, like there was obviously something to offer them, so, mm. so I would do the same. Mm-hmm. And but I was very focused in Malaysia, and at the same time, I was flying to Hong Kong all the time, working for my boss at that time, who was the executive director of EMI Southeast Asia, and and we were doing, you know, he he gave me a nice consulting job where I got to. Oversee a lot of urban acts mm. development mm. for urban mm. local urban music across the across the different right. Different so wait, so from countries. the states back to Singapore for military service, and you sort of just stayed in Asia. You you, uh, you didn't go back. I was supposed to go back right away. I mean, the promise that I made to my what homies, about your homies? Yeah, back home. So th- on the morning I left, six guys slumped out on the couch. Only one guy was willing to send me to the airport, and I stand at the door. I'm like, "Yo, y'all motherfuckers, say goodbye or what?" <laughs> and they're and I remember like one of them was like pulling the pillow aside, like, "Fuck you, dude. See you in two years." Right. And I was like, "All right, like I'll be back." Okay. I'll be back in two years. Uh, never came back. Wow. Like, yeah, just never came back because, you know, by the time I was out of the military, I was, I had no one. You built out your your, yeah, your sort I, of path. I, I kind of like known enough people to start building that career, and so I just went all out. Mm-hmm. So like I remember the first night out of the military in Singapore, the first afternoon out, I was in KL by that night and in the studio, mm. right? And then after that, like the following week, I was flying to Hong Kong. So I I'd already set it up that way where I was just gonna jump right into the music industry mm. and APAC. <clears throat> Pretty much, yeah. Mm. And then from there, I started going to Japan, going to Korea, um, getting to fly all around the world. Actually, you know, um, you know, there was one time my boss called me up at six in the morning in Singapore. Said, "I need you on a plane nine o'clock. We're gonna be in Melbourne. Have a meeting with RCA. Fly back to Hong Kong, and then fly to London the next day." Holy crap! And I was like, "Cool, let's do it." Mm. You know what I mean? Like. When you're 24 yeah. and you get to do this, of course. you're going to do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? This is pre-YouTube, pre-everything. So you're going to do it. But there was always a nagging question in my mind. It's like when you have these monthly meetings and these yearly meetings and you go like, the record, the CD sales or, 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 or CD sales are declining by 40% a year. You start mapping out, you know, like, okay, we're doing how many units in Asia? Mm-hmm. Let's take that. 40%, 40%, 40 I was like, you're going to flatline in 2010. Mm-hmm. So I knew that was... Happening. That was that was happening, but but I guess I was a little too young to, to, to face it. I remember around, like, 04, I, I suggested... I had this crazy idea. I was like, hey, why don't we take the whole company's catalog... And then we have a login, you know, function into the website where members of our label mm. could log in with their MSN mm-hmm. accounts mm-hmm. and go in there and listen to any music 
and then chat with each other within it, which <laughs> seems a lot like Spotify today. Yeah. But I wasn't, you know, smart enough. I wouldn't have no computer engineering background at that time. So you had the idea. I had that idea though, yeah. and I actually presented it. It was called Ride, like Recorded Integrated Digital Experience, wow. right? But, but no my label boss is yeah. my label boss. Like literally, like Terry, shut up and eat dinner. <laughs> yeah, <it was laughs> and, but and I remember for a while even thinking like, why don't I go write a proposal and go pitch this? to you know for a government grant or something yeah you know whether here or in malaysia and see if i could could find an engineer crazy enough to do it but i little did i realize that was already being done mm. because that resulted in pandora mm-hmm. uh spotify even even kk box you yep. know by by which started around that time and so so but I knew that that was where it was going to go. Okay. I knew that this iTunes download thing was not going to last for very long because technically selling a Seems vinyl... Seems like they're going to pull the plug soon, right? I, the, the iTunes are they? download? Like, yeah, yeah well, I heard it on the news. Yeah, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't downloaded anything from iTunes for a minute. Yeah. <clears throat> I thought it was an intermediary product. Right. You know what I mean? Like At that time, before the iPod was integrated into the iPhone... Yeah, okay. You know what I mean? I got my first iPod around like 03 and it was kind of cool, but it took me like three months to open the box. Because like, mm. I was like, yo, this Walkman, this Discman is kind of cool. I actually like the Walkmans better because the Walkman didn't fuck up half the time. Whereas yeah. the Discman yeah, always the had the laser. Scratched. Yeah, and then yeah. the laser could read. Clean it. And you had to like spin it to get it going. And <laughs> so, so around that time, I already kind of knew that, okay, CD sales are going to flatline after 2010. Um, Digital downloads is essentially the same as as selling a vinyl, selling a cassette tape, selling a CD or a mini disc or any of these because these are are by units. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But I could see that that infinite dimension of the internet coming right Mm -hmm. so i was like okay all this is about to change i have no clue where it is and and this is this is when things really just started like like i think i went into a period of time where i was almost in denial i was like dude we are so fucked Mm. like there is absolutely no future everybody's talking about piracy and blaming you know, first of all, what was it? it was Napster, and then it was LimeWire. Yep, yep. And then Kazaa. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. Like, the first time I went on Napster... As a user, yes, yeah. of course. As a user, <laughs> yes. As a musician, yes. I don't even know. Like, because I remember sitting there at my homie's house, because I didn't have a computer until 04 in my room. So I went to his house, and I, I was downloading. I was like, yo, you got, like, five CDRs? Because I got, like... 50 tracks downloaded mm. and he was like yeah you use my last couple but yeah you can use it <laughs> and, and um and i said something like yo this is like going to tower records after midnight and raiding the entire store yeah you know you and, and this everything is crazy and we're i mean like you don't even need to like go through the aisle and try to find that certain like this is tight mm-hmm. dude this is like robbing tower records 
with the search button. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is crazy. And and that's when musicians started crying about it, mm-hmm. you know. And that's when the whole uproar about piracy and shit like that. And that's when I really started having an opinion change. I was like, what are you guys crying about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is going to figure itself out. Yeah. Like, like most things, they eventually evolve into something else. I don't know what you guys are crying about. I think this is good. Mm-hmm. The massive proliferation of music is good for everyone. Right. It's bad for the accountant of a, of a major label, but it's good for society. Mm-hmm. Someone is going to figure out. But I was a little bit too myopic because it wasn't just the massive proliferation of music. It was the massive proliferation of information mm. at scale. Yeah. So... Everything is yeah. on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. So... And... I mean, like, <laughs> I come from the Alta Vista Netscape era, you know, like, I still remember, <laughs> like, like forget MS-DOS, I still remember Windows 3.1. Mm. I still remember the day that we installed Windows 95 in the dorm room going, yes. this is the future, son. <laughs> you know, like, like so, so by that time in the early 2000s, it was like, this is this is going to be huge. Like, mm. this is going to be huge. This is going to land somewhere else that we have totally no clue. We have n- no way of seeing where it's going, but it's going somewhere. Yep. So I knew that I had to stay in the business long enough, but I also knew... You wanted to see through it. Yeah. But okay. I also kind of knew that I had to... I had to find... I, I, I had to find some some change. Mm-hmm. And I think at 25, I was, I was probably at my first height of success mm. for for you know in my in my music career where mm-hmm. I was not ready to give up the yeah. comfort of five star hotels, yeah. after parties, fame, yeah, crates them away. Um, I mean, I wasn't soaking in it, but I was there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and I wasn't ready to give up that side of it yet because what I probably should have done was co work for, you know, like YouTube mm-hmm. or iTunes in, in 03, 04, mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. Because I remember, you know, you know the first time I, I actually saw YouTube was we were spending the whole night trying to use an FTP to to get a video from the uk office yep and then this lady goes let's go to this website yeah YouTube. and i'm like com. what is youtube <laughs> but right when you see that name you know what it is right yeah. it's your television yeah and i was like okay cool but you can't download this yeah and she's like just share it mm. and i was like uh <laughs> are you sure like okay because i was gonna burn it on a dvd you know <laughs> like but you know the lady was just adamant about it like our colleague in the uk she was like dude here's a video like all you gotta do is see it and review it and yeah. just know what it is yeah like the content right? yeah, yeah. and i was like oh, okay oh yeah i can live with that <laughs> you know like and i was like so we don't need this ftp anymore and that's when this whole idea of streaming started you know like right like slowly seeping in mm-hmm. and then by 05 I <laughs> things were getting so messy I had grown a label to like 20 odd people uh, I was 
producing throughout multiple countries in in Asia, be it Malaysia, Indonesia, Hong Kong, Taiwan, flying to Korea, mm-hmm. at, you know, pre-K-pop days. Um, and then on top of that, I was still consulting, right? So, and doing a lot of, like, commercial work, too, like, mm-hmm. whether it was Coca-Cola or, you know, or working with brands on 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 youth marketing that's right. what it used to be called in the early 2000s so still sounds the same it's like influencer <laughs> marketing K- yeah k-o-l some someone was telling generation me generation z marketing someone was telling me about that the other day and i was like yeah this is the same thing as youth marketing same this thing. whole k-o-l thing is essentially what this company that I, I used to work a lot with which two of my mentors founded uh, actually all three of them ended up becoming my mentors they had a thing called tribal marketing, which essentially it's essentially KOL right. marketing. Right, right. So, so, so all this is happening, and you're like, well, there's also something there's that's something boiling, bubbling. That's cooking, right? Yeah, it's there's bubbling. something bubbling there, and and that's the first time that that my dad's whole like, like you know, engineers are practical, mm. you guys aren't, and I was like, that was the first time in my life where I actually sat down with my dad at a conversation like. You, know, you might be right mm. I might have wanted to put a bit more attention in studying computer engineering <laughs> but that shit just sounded way too hard yeah being more of like a literary thinker kind of guy yeah. with like a pretty solid base in math mm-hmm. like I should have probably pursued that but at the same time I felt like my strength was in there my yeah. strength was yeah. in 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 doing impossible things and the whole idea of being under 25 and having broken out at least 15 artists mm. felt like felt an good, impossible yeah. act like these yeah. are things that 40 year olds do yeah you know like getting recording contracts for like 17 18 year olds was like at 23 unheard was, of well i mean at that time it was like like I was a little bit too underage for that, you know, yeah. and so I felt kind of good doing that, yeah, you know. And then eventually I crashed out. Oh five, I crashed out. Huh. I had the worst year of my life in oh six. And then, worst year by what means? Oh, just like I produced one song. Oh. Yeah, one and a half songs maybe. Um started feeling like okay my relevance was was dwindling because 05 was around the time after green day had put out american idiot and mm. there was this huge rock revival mm. so suddenly hip-hop wasn't the favorite kid anymore ah. and so i was like oh this <laughs> is this is like burnout this is how it feels to not be relevant oh no oh fuck what are we gonna do you know and but I had a, you know, I was dating a girl at that time. She was very encouraging. She was like, "How about you spend a year and read Tibetan Buddhism?" Mm. So I did. <laughs> really, I did. Yeah, I did. And I spent a lot of time reading like English translation of Dalai Lama books, and 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 and, and I, I really just started. Had she studied it herself first? Yeah, she, she was into that. Ah, she was into that. And okay, she was like, "You're she gonna, you're gonna be able DJ to find too. wisdom yeah. in this." Yeah, and she 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 brought that out to me, and I was I was very young, very 
uh, well, I probably wasn't very young because you know, mm-hmm. what age did Mark Zuckerberg do Facebook like younger? Right? Younger, yeah. So, but okay, I know what you mean. At that yep. time in history, yep. or in mankind, having the perspectives too outside of your own yeah. life. Yeah. So that was the first time that I, I started seeing things in a more holistic way. Mm. But then I was like, okay, do you get out of this industry, or do you just start all over again? Mm. Because I, I have this thing where I'm okay if the whole house comes tumbling down after you spent years building it I won't spend too much time in depression or anything I just go right back out and build another one Mm. so that's kind of what I did so like 07 07 there was a chance to do a a record out in Taiwan but that's that's a little bit of a sense of like stoicism where you're just like it's okay. Everything may end up being nothing, yeah. and shit will again. fuck up. Yeah. Don't cry. Don't blame anybody. Just yeah. blame yourself. Because you know, a lot like, of people live in that fear. Right? They do. It's, they it's, do. It's a made-up fear. They do. Uh, so. And a lot of the times, it's because they're too, too safe that they haven't felt it. Mm-hmm. You know, but, mm-hmm. but I think that's you know, great like that you I have say, that. Yeah. Like since twelve, doing this. By the time you're twenty-five, like there's this. I've been doing this for like 13 years. Mm. I may be like 25, but I've been doing this for a long minute. Mm. So this is not the first time a whole group of you know musicians that I work with have walked out on me. Yeah. Or or like so, it was like all right, nice. well let's just do it again and don't blame anybody for it. I mean, I think a lot of people have that that mentality where you need to like find something to blame find an excuse you know rather just own it like this is my fucking problem yeah fix it because Mm -hmm. you're the one who wants the solution Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like so i I figured like all right well we'll just start again awesome so we started again oh seven and came out to taiwan from zero i had some credibility from from the you know my work in the early 2000s but that was like 2007 you know my space was kind of falling apart mm-hmm. youtube was just coming into no uh, youtube was just becoming like popular mm. people you know people were going on it daily my space was kind of just like becoming too much spam yeah um Facebook just arrived, mm. you know, at that time it was still invitation only. Yep. So I was like, oh, college only. This too. social yeah. media thing is pretty tight yeah. because once this social media matures, the industry's done. Mm. And I was like, okay, cool. So what do I do? Because I'm here in Taiwan. I recorded an album, so I came to Taiwan to record an album that never came out. Mm. So that was another, like, oh, all right, so that was a waste of time. Yeah. <clears throat> but uh, you know, I, I met people along the way, and um, and 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 by '08, I was flying to Shanghai. You know, I was working. You're still with a label when you were in no, Taiwan. No, uh, when I by the time by the time '07 came around my contract with EMI had ended mm. I had left my consulting job I had my own label that was falling apart mm. um, and I think I, I didn't run away from it but I just needed to get away from everyone for mm. a while mm-hmm. because 
I it wasn't I, I didn't blame anybody for where I was in my life, but I just felt like I needed to be thrown in an even worse situation. Mm. So here I am in Taiwan. I can't speak a word of Chinese. Don't know anything. Mm. This is kind of tight. This <laughs> this is the twentieth twenty first century version. Start over again. Yeah, of, basically. Of, you know, like of like being a pilgrim going to the new world, getting on the Mayflower. You know,、mm. like that was kind of <laughs> like my thing. Just I was like, yeah, you can't blame me. I'm not gonna take a boat to Taiwan. I'm gonna get on a plane. But I was living in a shitty apartment,、mm-hmm. rats running around, and I was like, "All right, let's let's figure out what's going on here."、Mm. And so, you know, I never really kind of bought into the China dream because I kind of just figured that you need to understand it, all of it,、mm. and and I knew that there was, you know, Greater China as a region had its its differences and and you know. Whether it's cultural, political, or anything, I, I I knew that I had to understand it. Yeah. So so I spent a lot of time going to Hong Kong, like still,、um, but going out to China, like going out to Shanghai, Beijing, and, and eventually working. Like, but the only thing I could do was produce.、Mm. So I would say that the the period of life, the period of time in my life that I was fully a producer, was from oh seven to like twenty ten. Just those four, three, four years was when I was was the only time in my life、Focus、that I was a、music. full time producer.、Mm. But that was kind of fun because, like, like those were the years that I had some of my greatest hits. Worked some of the, you know, at least you know, in relative, some of the biggest stars.、Mm. And I didn't have to actually create, bring anyone from zero because these were guys with millions of fans or girls with millions of fans.、Mm-hmm. I just had to write a new song for them, and I was and like, by then, because you you said oh six people started to pick up rock music, yeah, right. But then by oh seven, by oh seven, because I had switched. So <clears throat> Southeast Asia, or at least Singapore, Malaysia, and Hong Kong have a very unique element where they're all ex-British colonies.、Mm. So there's English radio.、Mm. There's a tendency to follow, whether it's. British culture or or American pop culture,、mm-hmm. there's a tendency for for that influence. Whereas Taiwan didn't have that.、Mm. <clears throat> In fact, I felt Taiwan was was more leaning towards Japan, Japan. and Korea.、Yeah. So K-pop was blowing up,、mm. and K-pop was 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 starting to really adopt a lot of American、Hip-hop. sentiments. Yeah.、Mm-hmm. Whether it was hip hop or electronic, there was a lot、mm. of American sensibilities going on. Yep. So I was like, oh, maybe maybe Taiwan will adopt this.、Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't, <laughs> <laughs> or it tried, but it hasn't. Yeah.、Uh, but but、uh, okay. So so shift of scenery.、Uh, yeah, shift of North scenery. North Asia. It's different. North Asia, completely different.、Mm-hmm. Can't speak a word of Chinese. Don't know what the fuck's going on. Had really good friends that looked out for me. And, and just start it from zero.、Mm. Just start it, like I was like, all right, this is just rebuilding again. And、mm. probably within this rebuilding, I'm gonna have to rebuild many times anyway. So,、mm. so, like, the only way up from down is up. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go. So I did that.、Um, in '09, I was considering moving to Shanghai to work for an ad company because I, an ad、I've, company, yeah. Well, so I I'd actually done like a month of 
like consulting as a musicologist at Wyden and Kennedy, you know, I kind of liked it. You know, we were talking about like like whether I wanted to, to pursue that, but there was a part of me that wasn't ready to leave this yeah. this full time music producing yeah. career that I had just really started, started. doing for yeah. like two years, and, and and I didn't, and so that year in '09. You know, I got to, I that was when I I really started doing some some big Chinese stars mm -hmm. and and that went on all the way <clears throat> till like the end of 2010 when I joined Sony. Mm. And I joined Sony purely by chance because they were trying to produce a new artist. Uh they had this artist signed for like 3 years uh and the CEO told me like they didn't know what to do. Mm. And so I think they called me in to do the filler tracks. Mm. <laughs> and they had these other big name producers. I remember producers. that story, yeah. They had these other big <laughs> name producers and these guys didn't show up. Yeah. So so the marketing team, the CEO comes in and he's like, Who who are you? <laughs> and I'm like like I literally like I'm not the guy that you want to meet. <laughs> <laughs> like, like the guys you want they're the not big here. names are not here. Yeah. He's like, tell me what do you do? Yeah. And I'm like, I work with a bunch of 18-year-olds. And yeah. he was a little stunned. He was like, why? I was like, you know there's this millennial thing going on? Mm. You know? And he was like, what's that? And I was like, I don't know. It's the kids born in the 90s. Mm. And they think very differently from us. Mm -hmm. And these are guys, kids that are, grew up in technology. Yeah. So, so I've recently had this shift where where I'm working entirely with millennials. Mm. And and this artist happens to be a millennial. Yeah. Almost Gen Z, you know. But uh but she <clears throat> so 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 he was like, you know, we need to talk. Mm. So let's so he said something like like when we're done with this meeting, I want to talk to you about something in Hong Kong. And I was like, Hong Kong? Mhm. Mm I'm here in Taiwan like I don't want to do Cantonese music <laughs> like but he took me downstairs and he said look I'm gonna give you this job I think you'll be the youngest A&R director of a major label in Taiwan mm. or at least I've ever hired and and it's gonna be fucked up along the way there's gonna be politics you can take it or what mm. and I was like uh I'm gonna think about it for right. one night, right? And I said, because that's going back to the label. That's you know bringing yeah, in a lot and, of the old wins. And the up. fact that he re recognized that there was gonna be a lot of politics uh, was something I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm ready to jump back into this corporate life yep. again because I was, you know, like you're doing I'm, your own thing. Yeah, I'm working with these like Chinese superstars. You know who, are, like, and a couple of them really became really good friends with me, like like genuine friends mm. even till now. You know, like like there were free shoes yeah. everywhere. Like you know what I mean? Like it was just, it was cool. But but I've also never really been a part of that that spotlight. Like I I kind of feel like the moment I start to step into the spotlight. Mm. That's when it's over for me. Because the first time round, like I told you, at 25, I think one of the reasons why I crashed out was because mm. 
I stepped you into enjoy the spotlight. the spotlight, yeah. Or I was I was starting to enjoy the spotlight too much, and and as a result of that, that clouded me from the office job right. of this right, business, right, right, right. and that kind of ruined everything. So, hmm. so eventually we, I I said, all right, you know what? Let's do a year. I was like, what do you Test need? Yeah. He's like, I need this artist out in like six months. <laughs> And I'm like, all right, I can do that. I figured I'd be out in a year. Yeah. It ended up being 18 months. Um, and I'm not going to rag on the company or anything. I think, you know, record labels are such that management keeps changing. So while the time that I was there, you know, management changed a couple of times. And so there was never enough support to help me debut mm. this artist who was mm. Kimberly um, and but but she blew up like yep. on her first album and and I felt like okay cool you've done your job I did my Checked. job check uh, and then the new CEO kind of was like on this whole like I'm gonna make you the VP of A&R for Creative China or some shit mm. and I was cause you've done such a wonderful job right? because I've done such a wonderful job so i wanted to know what this wonderful job was mm. on numbers mm -hmm. so i i went to go make some inquiries and i realized the numbers were not as wonderful as oh, the job really? i thought i'd done huh. yeah like you know like everything was great on youtube on social media but when it came to actual sales it wasn't quite the same i see so I didn't know how to interpret all that, but all I knew was there's something not right about this. You need out. Mm. So right when she was still number one, I kind of suggested, I was like, hey, you know what? I think you need to find yourself another A&R that can actually do this mm. because I'm seeking something else. Mm. Like I, I'm seeking growth. I'm seeking, you know, like I'm seeking personal growth mm. and my career has never been about like amassing power yeah my career has always been about helping yeah and i think i've helped mm -hmm. and the only way for me to help more people is outside and not here wow so 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 it wasn't as amicable as a split but but i i did that again and i remember the first day out of it I was sitting I was sitting in my kitchen and I was like did I just do something really stupid <laughs> and I like but I got over it real quick okay I was like dude you made the decision it's the right decision at least you think it is mm -hmm. so just go with it just go with it dude. Yeah. like just just go with it and within three months I was I was back back producing again yeah. like I really thought no one was gonna hire me but I was back producing again but this time around like this time around, it was really different now. You know, like, I'd actually done something that I didn't think I would ever do was create a Chinese star. Mm. I had figured out how to work in the Chinese industry. Mm -hmm. I had figured out how to A&R Chinese music. I had figured out how to maneuver around the industry. Mm. I had figured out what the audience wanted. Mm what the sensibilities were where the trends had been and where they were going mm. and 
and I had known a lot of people by then. So I was like, all right, let's just keep doing this until we figure out what's next. Right. Yeah. So, so that, that eventually just kind of, you know, that, that just went on and 2013 till 2015 were good years because mm. those are the years that I started actually, you know, like learning to shoot my own videos on YouTube. Like I felt like a 21 year old again. Mm. You know, here I am at like great, 34, though. 35, like, you know, like just shooting videos, editing, buying cameras, Googling, recording music. Like, I was full on in this, which is why most people often now the people I work with are always like, oh, you're, you know, you're an artist. Yeah. And because most people at that stage, that status, they're like, this is I'm not going to go back to the drawing yeah. board and restart everything. And I think this is this is something that's very, very pertinent. If, if you're an executive doing any kind of content business in 20 post 2017 or post 2015 mm -hmm. and you have no clue on how content is made mm -hmm. that i don't think you should be in the business yep you should have at least experimented with it because people are making content on their phones every day yeah this here yeah this here is yeah. so powerful yeah. that anyone can make it mm -hmm. you know what i mean like 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 recently like recently, you know, like what is Wang Hong in, in English? It's Internet a, celebrities, Internet, right? Yeah. yeah, like this thing is not new, dude. Mm -hmm. Like, girls were making a hundred grand off of YouTube money, showing people how to put on makeup, mm -hmm. like eight years ago. Yeah. So this shit is not new. Yeah. Like, but I think this the the cell the phone the smartphone yeah. changed everything. Mm. This is the most powerful tool you have mm -hmm. in content you know or in marketing mm -hmm. today and if you do not know even a little bit about how content is created and you're in some form of business that relies on content then i really think you need to consider doing something else yeah unless you're engineering yeah you know what i mean <laughs> like all the business guys honestly go fuck yourself yeah like like i it's, that's how i feel yeah like you know what i mean and and so being one of those guys or at least you know having been one most of my life i was like well the reason why i left a major label was because i needed to actually learn how to be a generation z yeah. or a in fact at that time like millennials were turning 30 you know yeah. you know, like yeah. you know like they're not that my young cousin, anymore yeah my yeah. cousin's like hey well, like, i'm 28 30 soon and i'm like damn dude like <laughs> like i thought you just graduated ucla like you look dude i was like five years ago yeah i was like damn fool like all right so then you know i was like okay so if the millennials are already doing this then gen z is gonna be way crazier yeah so if you don't figure this out and you being in your mid-30s at that time like forget about trying to have a career post 40 mm right it don't matter what kind of money you have because there are people making success stories with no money yeah so i don't buy the fact that that content needs money i really don't yeah. like i think at a secondary stage to scale that business if you've become like 
a mainstream artist or some form of a celebrity, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, so like if you're if you're a vlogger who eventually has your own talk show, yeah, cool. Yep. You're gonna need some money, you know, Production, to do that. Yeah, yep. but this whole thing about like entry level money, nah, forget mm-hmm. about it, dude. Like mm-hmm. you do not need it. It's totally like like social media is yep. is the most powerful tool mm-hmm. that there is today. Mm-hmm. And and you know like <clears throat> and that's when, you know, like I really had to like squeeze myself like squeeze every everything I had in me to go learn how to use Final Cut, mm. how to use DaVinci to color videos, mm. to learn how to what was white balancing mm. what how to shoot you know what kind of cameras there were how lenses worked mm. you know that's totally out of my my league right yeah and but i i think the way i saw it was i was just getting ready to to spend another 25 years in a content business mm-hmm. and this is like you need to equip yourself this yeah this is kindergarten all yeah. over again because if i don't know any of this shit mm-hmm. there's no way i'm going to be able to to work any kind of business yeah you know that's awesome yeah so the reliance on someone else and which is back to this whole thing again the only person you should ever blame is yourself right like i i think this is something where that people don't don't get it like this new world with 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 the massive exposure to to information or the massive proliferation of information youtube university and all that kind of shit. This world is nothing like the world that I grew up in. Mm. And and that's pretty logical because the world that I grew up in grew up in was nothing like the world my grandfather grew up in. And he told me that in nineteen eighty nine. Yeah. You know, on Alamoana Beach in Hawaii. Like he just he said he said, you know, like I grew up in a time where, you know, there were tanks coming into Beijing. Mm. And, you know, it was turmoil and I had to run and I was like, damn, that shit's fucked up, yeah, dude. Like, yeah. like, you know, like, and here I am in 1990 going like, yo, you want to go to Tower Records and yeah. go make it these after that? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like, so, so that was 1990 and now we're fast forward 2018, like it's completely different, right? Yep. So, so I spent 2013 to 15 really just learning. Immersing yourself. Yeah, immersing myself, not not to say that I was going to be a one-man show all my life, but to understand what the spirit of being a one-man show is yep. because I knew too many people who were one-man shows mm. and they were often half my age or more. Mm. And these kids are going to grow up one day and take my job, mm. right? Mm. So, So all I hear from people like my age, and I'm... Apparently, I'm a zanial, right? What, what do you call people like 77 to 83? <laughs> I, I hear all these guys bitching and crying and making excuses like, oh, you know, like, you know, like, you know, like, oh, these kids today, they, their quality, like, all oh, these beats are loud. They're just loud. And, mm-hmm. you know, like, they make music from their laptop. That's not the proper way. Like, dude, who the fuck cares? Mm. Nobody cares about what you think. The only thing that matters is who's actually engaging with this content. Yep. And there's a lot of people engaging with this content, mm-hmm. you know, and and 
and and this is this is really I think one of the biggest biggest things that we're facing right now is that there is a new there is a new a new new school mm-hmm. and this new school is not just in sound not just in tonality not just in 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 mentality but there's a new school like spirit being born or in fact there's just a new school paradigm being mm. born which mm. is people who grew up on YouTube people who grew up on Facebook yep. people who grew up on Twitter being their the notice default. board the yep. default notice yep. board you know and and yes you know there's this argument about privacy and not sharing things on Facebook or or not talking too much on social media which is true like you don't want to be an asshole on social mm-hmm. media unless you you can build a business out of it you yep. know like yep. well you don't want to be an asshole period mm-hmm. you know but <clears throat> But I think this there's people growing up in this environment. And if you look at the exponentiality or the exponential factor of technology, what are these guys going to do when they turn 20? Mm-hmm. They're going to come up with some crazier shit based on different rules that absolutely do not resemble anything that you that we, we know, knew, we know yeah. post pre-2004. Yeah. So, so if you can't handle that, then you need to be out, right? You know, or just chill until you're out, awesome. like, or maybe start learning now. <laughs> like, I, and I don't think it's it's too late for it's someone. Never too late. Yeah, it's not too late for someone fifty because, like, I see some YouTubers who are like fifty, sixty, like you know, like <clears throat> who are you know like either teaching pigeon like English. On, on YouTube and, and, and building their own channels. Mm-hmm. I, I see many guys over 50 embracing social networks and and creating their own brands yeah. and stuff. And yeah. Kudos to that, man. Yeah, right? So they're, they're actually figuring it out. Mm-hmm. And and I think I think there's no excuse. Like, uh, this is not an age thing. This has never been an age thing. It's about where technology has come to where it's going and your ability to fit in Mm -hmm. either you embrace it or you don't you could be a purist you'd be like i still buy actually i'm beginning to hear i still buy cds a lot more yeah (laughs) and then you know well buying vinyl is you know i think that's a millennial kind of like retro kind of thing but i actually know guys who still buy cds Mm. And, and i'm like all right or at least <clears throat> until today, I still, and including millennial artists, I still hear them talking about CDs. Mm. They still want a CD. I think they don't really want a CD. They want a physical representation of their work. Right. But that can come in the form of anything. Yeah. That can come in the form of like, like, like last year we were exper- I experimented on a on 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 AR technology. And and we used it as a magazine, yep. like Julius album. Um, my initial idea was, all right, well, if people like vinyl so much, why don't we just take a vinyl? But instead of the vinyl being a vinyl, it just be cardboard, yep. and yeah, just postcard. Swipe it, swipe it, your QR code, and let it come to life. If you really need a physical representation so much, but the thing is, like, I don't want so much junk in my house, but maybe some people do. Yeah. People like 
to collect shit. I collect shit. I mm-hmm. collect books. Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't blame people for it. Like, like these days, I buy a book on on. Kindle. I buy a book on my phone. Yeah, yeah. on iBooks. Uh, yeah, my Kindle. I had to give it to my sister. I, <laughs> but I I should do that. Um, I buy books online, and then I'll go buy a physical copy of it too. That just comes with my age, my preference. I still listen to vinyl. I still yeah. listen to cassette. Yeah. But I work now, you know, for in a digital in a business. digital music company, right? Yeah. yeah. So. So, this is this is this is what I'm beginning to understand is like, like, this world, that this new era that we're coming into is going to be nonlinear. Mm-hmm. You can have a kid growing up today that might just like '70s music, right? That at 15 might record the dopest Motown sounding album. I mean, look at Childish Gambino's mm-hmm. Redbone. Mm-hmm. That's like some some seventies like mo no not even Motown like you know like R and B you know soul kind of stuff funk soul kind of stuff and 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 how old is he right yeah you know what I'm saying so yeah. like he wasn't even alive that era right. so so you can do that because all of this information all of this influence is on there. Mm. And if you're growing up on a phone mm-hmm. or any kind of tablet or any kind of a screen, you're going to have access to that. Yeah. And just like it influenced someone in the 70s or the 80s, it can influence you now, too. So there's this nonlinear, mm. nonlinear element of content that we're now moving into. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's very important that anyone in the content business <clears throat> has to embrace not just the fact that there is the internet not just the fact that there is a new target audience but also the fact that whatever we thought of content creation needs to be erased like Mm. we need to like not take old rules into content creation but rather look at it from a very very different point of view there's so many ways to go about it like you can do but anything. but but there will always be pop music there will always be pop music but pop music is popular music right uh-huh. just like there's going to be popular like right so like, but like, even with me going on my phone and i do my own thing i i, I listen to my own music there's still going to be that commonality that yeah but that, that's people. a more scientific factor i think uh uh let me let me google what this it's the it's the Einstein Bose effect okay sorry the Bose-Einstein condensate a Bose-Einstein condensate is a state of matter of dilute gas of boson cool to temperatures very close to absolute zero under these conditions a large fraction of bosons occupy the lowest quantum state that's basically <laughs> in a very scientific way you know what I'm saying this is different this is human culture mm. like everybody has different degrees of understanding and accepting art mm-hmm. or content or but there's this threshold where there's something that everyone can understand. Yep. 
So that's why you have pop music. Mm. That's like easy. So people that don't even listen to music will find it pleasing to their ears. Yeah, that's different. Right. That's completely different. And but at the same time, but if you love music more, then you start going onto your playlists. You go deeper. Yeah, you go deeper. But on a surface level, Mm. everybody needs music. Everybody needs to be entertained. So there will always be popular movies, popular music. Like I mean, like, like in my lifetime, the best. Disney movie for me was Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast and I think we're on our second or about like there's so many like there was Beauty and the Beast drama series in the 80s and then Disney made a huge cartoon out of it and now it's become a movie right with so so why is it popular because I think in it there's the story of the underdog you know like like it's relatable yeah it's not about how you look it's about how you how your heart is Mm -hmm. and whatever you know these Mm -hmm. these very very fundamental human emotions that everyone can relate to Mm. so so in in that same way that's how i feel popular music is always going to be there Mm. but it's just there's going to be a fragmentization a further fragmentization of what that is Mm -hmm. and you know and and we we don't know i mean like i think popular music has been around for so many decades you know but it's also changed in its ways so so what's going to be popular music in five years i don't know i don't it may not be boy bands Mm. you know you know what i mean like but then again boy bands were popular still be there yeah boy bands were popular in the early 2000s the last couple of years saw korean boy bands uh but then again, singing groups, you know, of four guys, a quartet, has been around since Motown. Yeah. So, so, in a way, like, history repeats itself, art copies itself. Mm-hmm. Same thing. So, I, I, think, I think we've just moved into this very new era where people need to start really just accepting mm. and, and seeing, like, oh, okay like there is this element here now but but the way we go about it like i i think everybody needs to really start like being very honest with themselves and start thinking about how we're making these how we're making content what kind of money we're throwing into it at what stage Mm. you know you put too much money in an early stage um you're just gonna blow money you know and then then you company runs out of business and we've heard that it's not sustainable we've heard that a million times exactly yeah Yeah. so finding a sustainable business model for content is a challenge that businesses or individuals are going to figure out or need to figure out in the coming years Mm. because the technology is matured it's maturing even faster and it'll come to a point where there will be enough technology at least distribution mm-hmm. of content that is already solved it'll only get better and now you know even recording you know or, or any kind of like equipment or anything the technology you need to produce content is it's shrunken down it's shrunken down and and then again we we're saying earlier kids who grew up in in the youtube era yeah they don't really care about the echo in the room yeah 
They're looking for the quality of content. Yeah. The quality of entertainment that I can get in that 30 seconds I'm waiting for the bus mm-hmm. or I'm, I'm waiting for the elevator. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so, so when I hear people talk about short videos, yeah, that's true. But do you know why? Mm-hmm. Because everybody's on their phone and consuming content waiting for the elevator. Yeah. You know, yeah. waiting to do the next thing. You just like, yo, let me just soak in this 15 second vine yeah. real quick. Yeah. So, the rules of the <laughs> embrace game Embrace the addiction. Yeah, yeah just embrace, embrace it, dude. Like, <laughs> and, you know, there's going to be something new in 20 years. There's going to be a new iteration of it, like in five. Yeah. But if you don't embrace it, then I... I don't know. I mean, like, then just kind of wait and see yeah. what, what happens. I mean, I don't think major labels are going to fall. They, they have a back catalog that's enough. You know what I mean? That's yeah. like... Yeah, that's like buying Bitcoin like back like <laughs> like eight years ago at like ten bucks or yeah, some shit. Yeah. You know, or or or, or buying Amazon mm. shares yep. in ninety eight and never selling it. Like mm. so so just you know, like they have a back catalog that's gonna keep them running. Is their business model gonna change? Yes. Uh do people over the age of thirty or thirty five need to reevaluate their business practices or their attitudes towards business yes mm-hmm. um do do should young people mm-hmm. give a fuck about what these old businesses were no <laughs> i think they just have you know it, it's a different world dude it's it's we're all accountable yeah. on the internet. Like, mm. I was watching, you know, Gary Vee said something last night about how, like, you know, the, recently, like, everybody's talking about, like, Facebook yeah. and privacy. Well, you're accountable, dude, because you like that shit. That's mm-hmm. what he said. Mm-hmm. You're telling people what you want, so you be accountable for what you put out Your there, own action, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and if you don't want to be part of that world, there's also, you know, caves and mountains where mm-hmm. you can go be a hermit. Mm-hmm. And, and you choose. Yeah. But if you want to live in this world and you want to use technology, don't sit there and blame the technology. Just embrace it, yeah. you know? And, and, and don't... And the whole point, I mean, the whole point of technology is to better things, yeah. right? And once you better things, that means things from before don't, are not necessarily needed anymore. Mm. So if you're not willing to let go of some of the comforts of the old world, then you got a problem, right? Mm. So, and technology is not going to improve by itself. We have to yeah, go in and improve. We have to be part of that yeah. improvement yeah. too. So, And if you can't embrace it, you're not going to be able to contribute to its improvement. Mm-hmm. So so these are, you know, it's, 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 a, awesome. it's a cause and effect it's a cause and effect thing and and i think i think we're living in the single most exciting era you know yeah. of mankind right yeah. you know like in the 30s when they went when they first invented radio like people who were making gramophones and 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 vinyls were going are you crazy we just figured out how to like like produce records at scale and you want to play music over the airwaves mm-hmm it's very similar to what we're going through mm. right now. So, but this is even crazier. Yeah. Because this is, radio was just like mono-directional, di- but this is multi-dimensional, right. Right. you know? So, so and, and, and the complexities of the internet, you know, the, there's so many ways that, that any, any, anything can scale out 
mm-hmm. the scalability of the internet in general and 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 information how it can scale and, and it's remix infinite. itself yeah. it's it's so infinite you know like this is exactly like that book over there by Lawrence Lessig he's talking about remix mm. we live in the remix era mm. and after this era's remix there's going to be something else mm. you know so so i don't know I, i i think at the end of the day it comes down to to are you are you embracing that change because talking about change is really old school yeah I've been hearing people talk about change since Napster days. Yeah. Talking about change is some that should have been going on for like two, three, four decades, mm. you know, like mm. be the change. Yeah, be the change and or be part of that change mm. or get left out. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. Um let's switch it up a little bit. Let's do a pause.